this morning, I, I want to start our, our message uh, with a visual of just cutting this, this flower. Now, this flower looks pretty good right now, but the truth is, it is it's dead. Uh, it has just been cut from its life support, from the nutrition, from the water, for everything that gives it life. It may not look dead now, but it is. It sort of answers the question for me back from the beginning. It always frustrated me reading the story of Adam and Eve when God says, As surely as you eat, you will die. And they eat, and they don't appear dead, but they're separated from God, and they are dead, and they, they will die. And, and so often, my friends, it may be apparent that we are alive, but the truth could be that we're dead because of sin. Uh, Isaiah 59 says, your sins have cut you off from God. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. Now, what makes it tricky is that you can appear to be alive when you're really, really dead. And so that's why we want to spend some time this summer studying what we call the, the seven deadly sins. Now, this is not actually a biblical term, but it's a term of Christian tradition that evolved over hundreds of years one time there were eight of them, then it got down to seven. In times in history, there's been a color for each sin and an animal for each sin. For instance, you probably can figure this out. What is the color for envy? Green, okay? Some of you figured it out. The color for envy is green. Now, you probably can get this one. What is the animal for gluttony? A pig. That's uh, only appropriate. So um, lots of interesting things here. But as you look at that list, those are the seven deadly sins. Let, let me make a few points here that hit me. Is first of all, they don't seem so deadly, do they? I mean, you look at that list, that just looks like simple, ordinary, everyday frailties. I mean, to, to me, you read the list, it looks like the, the normal fare of a, a soap opera. Or the normal fare of a, you know, of a, a live TV show, one of those reality TV shows, you know, that plays out, you know, in some jungle. You see envy and you see lust and you see pride and all those things play out. They don't seem so deadly. I, I'm, I'm thinking if I were to come up with a list of seven deadly sins, I, I probably would put on the top of it murder, right? I mean, that sounds pretty deadly. Or you might put something terrible like rape or or genocide, or racism, or you name it. So, so how do these get there? Well, that's our, our next point about this, is they are deadly because, as one writer writes, of their children. They're deadly because they're children. They're deadly because, first of all, they look so innocent. We laugh about gluttony. We laugh about pride. We certainly make fun of lust. And yet, yet they're, they're, they're so innocent looking, and yet at core, what they lead to is so deadly. I mean, you, you've got the deadly sin of envy, and before long it evolves to hatred and gossip and character assassination. Maybe your sin is anger, and no one sees it, but in the long run, anger can lead to strife and insults and even murder. Greed can lead to stealing and cheating. Pride leads to racism. I think I'm better than somebody else. 
So here's why these are the deadly sins. is because you name almost any sin you might accomplish, and the root of it is back to these seven sins. And number three, they are fatal to spiritual progress. That's what the people were doing centuries ago. Let's come up with a list of things that really mess people up in developing their relationship with God and the people of God. You see, because you can set out, you know, to live the abundant life, a life that's full of God and full of life, and one of these sins can get in your life, and before long, your life is deteriorated to just collecting a bunch of useless material goods that only clutter your life. I mean, you can start off, you know, wanting to have a relationship with someone that really has love and encouragement and all those good things, and yet we all know if you're not careful, it can deteriorate to nothing but lust. And so these sins begin to play out in our life. So I want you to see today the first of the deadly sins, the most deadly of all, number one, is pride. C.S. Lewis said, this is the great sin. Now, let's define pride. What is pride? Pride is excessive love for oneself. Say that with me. Excessive love for oneself. Obviously, you understand the Bible says we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. There is a a certain amount and type of self-love that's actually healthy. But when my love begins to be obsessive, when it begins to be excessive, when I begin to be self-satisfied, there's something so dangerous. It's one thing to have self-respect. It's another thing to have self-infatuation. Well, the only person really in your audience and the only person you talk about is yourself. Now, This sin is really interesting to me because in in modern culture, pride has made a quite impressive comeback. We almost exclusively, unless we come to church or read the Bible, think of pride as a really good thing. You see, the greatest sin to modern men and women is not pride, it's low self-esteem. I mean, this have grown up over the last few decades in the, uh, the, the self-esteem movement that said almost every bad behavior goes back not because of pride, but because you don't feel good about yourself. In fact, there was a reporter visiting a, a pretty tough prison where there was a lot of hardened criminals there. And, you know, before she leaves, she decides to ask one more question. She says, I bet all these criminals in here feel so bad about themselves. They suffer from low self-esteem, I'm sure, or they would never do that, because that's what we said is the problem. The prison warden was so much smarter and wiser than that. He said to the reporter, he said, ma'am, these men are not in this prison because they think too little of themselves. They're in this prison because they think way too much of themselves. They can do these things and not think twice. And yet we've decided as a culture, you know, is what we've got to do is make sure we always nurture our child's self-esteem. They can't, they can't feel bad about themselves. You don't discipline your children because you might hurt their self-esteem. I mean, it tickles me watching 
which happened over a few generations. I can illustrate it this way. Let's say years ago, Grandma, when she was a mother, is saying to her child, I want you to go in the den, and I want you to clean up the toys. You've messed things up, so you go check on the toys. I'm coming back in a few minutes, and if the toys aren't picked up, you're going to time out for the rest of your life, or I'm going to give you a spanking. So, 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 you know, you go, and so a few minutes later, mom comes in, and either it's done or it's not done, and punishment is meted out or not meted out. Now, you, you guys know, how do we get toys picked up now? Okay, little Johnny, come with me. Let's go to the den. It's sort of a mess. I know you've been having a good time. Let's get on our knees together, and let's pick the toys up. Oh, Johnny, come on with you. Oh, let's make it a game. Who can pick up the most toys? I've got one. You've got one. Let's do Oh, that's so good. I'm so proud of you. You did a great job picking up two toys while I picked up a 1,000. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, guys, just look at the way we do this thing. And guys, it's because we've forgotten the biggest thing you need to get out of your kids is pride. Because they're born with it. And you're born with it. It is dangerous. It's deadly. You see, we live in a culture where it seems to me that we have learned to celebrate egotistical, prideful blowhards. When the people we ought to revere and follow are humble people that are teachable and modable. Let's go to Scripture and let's learn about this for a moment. Let's let's hear what the wise men said in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter chapter 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. God says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Do you hear that? This is something God hates. Why does he hate it? Because of the results. Look at this next proverb. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Here's the problem with a proud man. He doesn't learn. It doesn't matter how many advisors he's got around him. He doesn't learn. Because his pride says, I've got it together. Look at this next proverb. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. You see, guys, the humble person is open to learn. They're open for advice. They're even open for someone to correct them. You want to find out how much pride you've got right now? What do you do when someone corrects you? What do you do when someone gives you advice? Do you immediately discount it? Are you a know-it-all that you've got it all figured out? You see, a proud person brings strife everywhere they go. Every, every relationship, every group they're in, there's a sense of strife and dissension, guys. Most church splits are not caused over theological issues. Let's just be honest. They're caused over pride. And then listen to this proverb. It sort of sums it all up. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What's the wise man saying? Pride is deadly. Now let's go a little bit deeper in this. I want to show you a verse out of the New Testament I think will help us. A few verses from Galatians chapter 6. Well, we're going to find out that there is a, a good sense of pride, but there's also a bad sense of pride. He said, Each one should test their own actions, then they should take pride in themselves alone. Let's, let's stop there just for a second. What he's saying is, what's hurting the church in Galatia is you guys are competitive with each other. 
you can't just do something good and feel good about it on your own. You've got to compare it to somebody else. And if you're not careful, you always got to be the best. He says, here's what you do. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Compare yourself with yourself. I was talking to a coach this morning after first service. He said, this is what I try to teach my players, is, is don't be competing with the other players. Be competing with your best. That's, that's wise. Now, keep on reading there. Here's what he says. Without comparing themselves to someone else. And then the next part. For each one shall carry their own load. Don't come to church comparing yourself with everybody. That leads to pride. Be humble about it. Guys, understand this about pride. It's very competitive. Many of us in here would confess that we are extremely competitive people. It almost always leads back to a sense of pride in comparison. I've always got to be the best. I've always got to be the person in the spotlight. If I go to a certain event or a certain dinner and I'm not in the spotlight, I don't feel good about it. If I go as a preacher and I go preach at this lectureship like I've been doing a few weeks ago in Lipscomb, here, here's, here's the temptation's going to be is, okay, how did I do? Not how did I do on my own. The question is, how did I do stacked up to other people? Because I know well enough everybody's going to get in their car at the end. They're going to go, man, this speaker was really good and this guy wasn't so good, and they're going to put me in one of those categories. And if I'm not careful, my pride kicks in, and it becomes to be a, a comparison thing. In the business world, did I make the biggest sale? Did I lead the company? I mean, in, in church, you know, we can, we can show pride. I was reading this story about this woman who went to her preacher and said, I, I've got to confess a sin to you, and I need your help about it. And he said, okay, well, then just lay it out there, and I'll give you some advice, and, and we'll get past this. And she said, preacher, I, I hate to admit this, but here's my problem is I come to church every Sunday, and I'm by far the best-looking woman here. In fact, I look around and nobody even compares to me. And the preacher says, and she says, you know, I, I've really got a sin here. And, and the preacher says to her, ma'am, that's not a sin. That's a misunderstanding. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all can get about looks or athletics or money or houses or cars or children or you name it. We can get into it. And it's so dangerous because, again, it's always based on comparison. Let me give you an illustration. I think it will help us. I, one, one, one topic I hated in school, going to school, is I hated chemistry. I could make it through it, but I, I, I didn't like chemistry. I think a lot of people didn't. In, in fact, let, let's say you're, t- you're back in high school. Do you remember that? And you took a chemistry test. And the teacher gave the test back. How, how many of you would have felt good if you got an 88? Raise your hand. vast majority of our church, sad thing, okay? We would feel good at 88. Now, now how you can feel? The teacher gives the test out, comes back behind her desk, says, I just got to tell you guys, I am so proud of you. I've been giving the same test for years. And my goodness, this is the best scores I've ever seen. In fact, the lowest score on the test was a... Now how do you feel? That 88 doesn't look so good, does it? Because of this, this comparison. So we're going to go to a, a parable Jesus gives. That's a comparison. And it really messes somebody up with pride. In fact, I want to call this guy, despite the fact he's so religious, he's a dead man praying. Go to, go to Luke chapter 8 with me. Look at verse 9. Jesus sets it up with this line. To some who are confident... In their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this prayer. That, that, that's, that's pride. Overconfidence in myself, judgment of other people. 
So Jesus says, let me tell you a story about this. And again, he's got all these religious folks listening. Isn't it weird that the people most prone in the Bible to pride are people like you and me? So Jesus says, let me tell you about this. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. What a contrast. Pharisee, most spiritual religious people of the day, maybe 6,000 in all of Judah, Judea. Tax collector, lowly trader. So they're going up to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this who? Tax collector. Oh, God, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I am a tither. Now, here's the contrast. Could it be greater? But a tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that had to shock everybody. This guy, the tax collector, is the justified one? Why? Because... The Pharisee had the deadly sin of pride. Now, why is it so deadly? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, it's deadly because pride kills your relationship with God. This guy doesn't go and ask God for anything. He tells God how good he is. He's not dependent on God. He's dependent on his own goodness. That's what Phariseeism and legalism does. It says, I am going to heaven because I've understood everything right, and I'm doing everything right. And you know, on surface, this guy is right. In fact, the only sin we can find in his life is one sin. It's enough to damn you. It's pride. And, And so... Why does the Bible say sin cuts you off from God? Because it's not because God's walking away from you. It's because you're walking away from God going, you know what? I can do this thing on my own. In fact, I'm doing pretty good, God. I am self-sufficient. I am self-satisfied. I don't need this. And God's religion can build that in us if we're not careful. Because, my friends, you can't save yourself. You can't go to church enough. You can't do enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough. There's no way that you can, you can earn your salvation. You see, where, where God is finally indebted to you. Where God says, oh, my goodness, look at Buddy. He is so good. He's one of my saved ones. No, no, no. Too many of us are like the late Muhammad Ali. I don't know how much was play and how much was serious. But Ali liked to proclaim that he was what? greatest. And I love one story. He's, he's flying in an airplane, and he gets on the plane, and the plane's about to take up, and the stewardess is walking down the aisle and notices that Ali does not have his seatbelt on. So the stewardess says to him, Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt on. He says to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she quickly replied, Superman don't need no plane. Because I'm telling you, God's 
the best place for you to be with God is humbly dependent. God, no way I can be saved on my own. All I can do is throw myself on your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, no way I can earn my salvation is from you. So, so pride destroys your relationship with God. Second, pride kills your relationship with others. Because as we see in this man, he feels superior. I always wonder about this, this, this tax collector. Did he hear the Pharisee's prayer? My guess is he, the Pharisee went to the temple. Man, this is an out loud prayer. I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not talking to God. He may be talking to people around him. He wants them to know how good he is. Like one prayer was led in Boston, and afterwards the report said it was the most eloquent prayer ever prayed to the people of Boston. <laughs> and, and, and I think he's, he's praying out loud, and this tax collector's here. How does he feel? Oh, I'm not like that lowly, sinful, terrible tax collector. Because here's what pride does. Pride gives me a judgmental issue. Yes, maybe my issue is not that I don't tithe. And my issue is not these things. But my issue is pride, and it's, it's covered up. And so, my friends, if, if you start having a judgmental spirit, see, often we, we get close to somebody, you know, but when I start seeing their faults, and sometimes our faults are more... Some of us cover them up better than others. I don't know if that's good or bad. But when I start seeing someone's faults, you know, and I begin to pull away, and I can't appreciate the good things about them. So pride will destroy that re- your relationship with somebody else. Anytime you are blind to your own faults and nitpicking the faults of others, you're in trouble. So watch out what it does to your relationships. It's hard to maintain relationships with people who don't know they mess up. You can't be a Christian and say, I've never asked God for forgiveness. That's a contradiction. You can't be in relationships with friends and family and children and spouses and parents Unless there's a spirit of, you know what? There are times where I'm the one that's at fault here. And, and, and instead of withdrawing in my pride, you know, so Mark Twain said, it's our temper that gets us in trouble. It's our pride that keeps us in trouble. Because I'm afraid to walk across the room and say, you know what? What I said was inappropriate. And I know I hurt you. And I'm sorry. And the last thing here is pride kills your relationship with not just God and others, but even with yourself. Someone wrote that pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. You know what? I don't think that's right. I do think it's sick. it sickens us to be around arrogant, prideful people. But I think it sickens the person even more because their circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. They're the only person who's really got it down pat. And so nobody else has it down pat. And so it begins to separate them from God and separate them from people. And my my friends, that is the soul in which you live, is good relationships with God and good relationships with people. And those only happen in humility. And what happens is you begin to shrivel on the inside. So that's a big problem. So let's, let's finish up with this thought. How do we kill pride before pride kills us? What's the key to here? Let's kill pride 
before pride kills us. Here is the answer. That's just one application this morning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Did you hear it? This is, this is all it's going to take, is to keep your eyes on Jesus. As one writer said, I thought I was a really, really, really good person until I met Jesus. You see, if we get pride by comparison, I can always find somebody worse than I am, sure. We'll also defeat pride by comparison. Is by saying, you know what, the standard is not me or you. The standard of my life is Jesus. And, and when you get your eyes on Jesus, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to have a window into the heart of God. You're going to see who God is, and you're going to see how magnificent and holy and pure and gracious He is. But not only will it be a window into the heart of God, it will be a mirror into your own heart. Because as you see Jesus and what he's like, here's the thing that's going to happen that's a little painful, is you're also going to see you and what you're like. Now here's the cool thing about keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's not going to leave you devastated. Oh, it's going to leave you humble. That's the result. The result is humility. But but also the result is I'm also going to know that he loves me. See, despite all the bad things I see in his presence about me, I'm also going to know that because of the cross, he accepts me and he loves me. And guys, that's what gives us humility. You see, we have a really bad idea about humility. We, we, we don't think in America today, humility is not really a compliment. In, in Jesus' day, it was an amazing compliment, even to God. Jesus is the first time God is ever called a humble God. It's a good thing. Because humility is not thinking you're pitiful, no good, sorry person with no help. Some of you think, oh, that guy's so humble. He never says a word. He never defends himself. He never takes a stand. He's just the most humble little guy over there. Why, everybody around him runs over him. My friends, that is not humility. Humility is not about putting yourself down. Humility is about lifting God up. You see, humility is not thinking bad about yourself. It's not thinking good about yourself. Here we go. Humility is not thinking about yourself. You see, the beautiful thing about humility is you finally get past self. Why is pride so deadly to yourself? Because if you're wrapped up in you, then, then everywhere you go, you're going to get your feelings hurt because someone's not going to speak to you or someone's not going to acknowledge you or you're not going to get the raise you think you deserve or you're not going to get the promotion or you're not going to get the recognition. And you think, my goodness, I've done so much more than she has and yet they recognize her. I went to family reunion. I went to church. Everybody spoke to these people, but no one spoke to me. That's pride, guys. But humility says, you know what? I'm not here to put myself down. I'm not here to lift myself up. I'm here to forget myself. I'm here on a mission for God. And humility changes everything. So I ask you this morning, is pride killing you? Is it killing you? Right now, it might not be so apparent. But let me tell you, it won't take long for you to shrivel off the same plant I cut this flower less than 24 hours ago. 
And look at where it is today. And my friends, that's what pride does. It's that deadly sin that begins to shrivel you up on the inside. Now, it might not be apparent. I mean, you look pretty good this morning. You're dressed up. My goodness, you're at church. My goodness, you might be like this Pharisee, man. You're doing a lot of good things and not many bad things. But instead of making you thankful to God, it's made you proud of yourself. And so this morning, if you need to humble yourself before God, if today you know, despite the fact that people beside you may not know this, is that you are shriveling up, and pride's not something to be proud of, it's not something to joke about. It's actually the root of almost every other sin, and it is deadly. So let's go back to our story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Each received what he asked for. The first told God how good and awesome he was. He asked for nothing and he received nothing. The second was deeply aware of his own sin. He asked for mercy, and he received it. My friends, if you will look at Jesus and see his holiness and his graciousness, the only words you may be able to get out of your mouth this morning is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If today you need to humble yourself before this crowd and say, I need help. I I hear people say things. I think they don't know what they're saying. You know, I I could never go before that church. I could see all, I couldn't do that. Really? Are are we that full of pride that we're not allowed people to see who we are? My friends, the one who will leave this place justified is not the one who covers it up, but the one who humbles himself whether publicly here or privately where you are, before God, say, God, oh my goodness, just be merciful to me. Humble yourselves before God today. Lift him up. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.